This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by the Elmridge Home for the Blind, now under new management. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. And it's a Christmas anthology week on Pod Cemetery with 1972's Tales from the Crypt, which does have one segment about Christmas, and 2018's All the Creatures Were Stirring, which is all about Christmas. But before we get to the movies, Kelsey, how do we start the show? Horror trivia. Give me what you got. Who was the host in the Tales from the Crypt TV series? The Crypt Keeper. That is correct. I was going to give you a question similar to that, actually. It's mm-hmm. pretty remarkable. <laughs> Instead, I will give you this easy question. Okay. George Romero and Stephen King once intended to remake the 1972 film Tales from the Crypt. Instead, they ended up making what movie? Creep Show. That is correct. Yeah, that's an easy one. Because all like the trivia is kind of, kind of more in the question than it is in the answer. <laughs> mm-hmm. That brings us right to our first movie, 1972's Tales from the Crypt, with stories by Al Feldstein, Johnny Craig, and Bill Gaines, screenplay by Milton Sabotsky, and directed by Freddie Francis, starring Ralph Richardson, Joan Collins, and Peter Cushing. Some big names there. Interestingly, only two of the segments that we'll see here actually come from Tales from the Crypt. Reflection of Death and Blind Alleys, respectively. The others come from other horror comics from the time. And I'll break down exactly which horror comics they came from as we get through it. But what is Tales from the Crypt about, Kelsey? Five people get lost in a crypt when they're supposed to be going on a tour. And they encounter a man who tells them stories they already know. (laughs) But they've just forgotten, I think, is the premise there. Yes. Yes, it it is very true that they are seeing the past. And we know this because one of the characters has something in their possession during this sort of rapper storyline that they get in their segment. So we know that all these stories are coming from the past. Mm -hmm. So that should give you a hint into how this movie ends. Yes. It is free with ads on Tubi, Roku, and Popcorn Flicks. It is only available otherwise on DirecTV for a $4 rental and $14 purchase. It is, however... Pirated on YouTube in its entirety. And I will share the link with you on our Twitter, at Pod Cemetery. So follow us there. I'll post it in the thread. The thread is linked in this episode's description. Should people watch this movie, Kelsey? Sure. That was exactly my thought. Like, I liked it. But I didn't think there was anything about it that I was like, oh my god, everybody needs to see this. No. It was good. Yeah, there's no part of me that's mad that I saw it. Yeah, maybe watch it. 
It, if you got nothing to do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is pretty early for this type of thing would become much more popular later, but it's not the first one. I mean, hell, what was... um The Dead of Night. The Dead of Night. That was 40s mm-hmm. sometime, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... It is notable for the fact that uh, it does have the original Crypt Keeper, which is just a dude who is literally <laughs> a Crypt Keeper, not some weird animated skeleton with Chucky's eyes, apparently, which yes. I just found out before was recording. to tell me that. It's remarkable. His, his, his uh, sort of like ice blue eyes come from Chucky because the guy who designed Chucky designed the Crypt Keeper as well. Yeah, you can... You can see it or not, whatever. (laughs) So you're kind of forced to take our advice this time. (laughs) In any case, when we get back, we will talk about 1972's Tales from the Crypt. Death lives in Tales from the Crypt. on a guided tour of a world of darkness where nightmares become reality. The vault of horror is about to open. You will learn its terrifying secrets if you dare. All right, Kelsey, get us started. How does Tales from the Crypt begin? A man is giving a tour of the catacombs. Wait, you're missing it. Oh. It starts with Toccata and Fugue in D minor by Johann Sebastian Bach. Oh, right. On the organ, right? Yes. That famous horror organ tune. It was in the opening credits of the 1931 Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Uh, It was in the Hammer version of Phantom of the Opera. It was in the very opening of Fantasia. So the very first piece of music that they play in Fantasia is this song. So it's very, very famous. You know exactly what it is. And now it is just basically synonymous with horror. Yes. Okay, so that's done. That plays over the opening credits. We're looking over this graveyard with some some tombstones in, in the grass. And then we see this crypt that people are walking into and getting a tour. Go ahead. And he tells them, keep close together. You don't want to get lost down here. And as they're going, like, the, these last five people kind of, like, hang around. And you're like, what's going on? It's weird. It's, it, yeah, are they going to have some sort of secret meeting, I thought? Are they there to, like, is something sinister going on here with them? Yeah. Do they have a plan? But no. Nope. But they're all alone. All five of them are alone. And yeah, I thought it was like, oh, meet me in the crypt. And the five of us will go come alone. And then we'll stay behind the tour group or whatever. But no, no, none of it was planned. Yeah. And as they're walking, the woman drops her brooch. And this man's Joan Collins. 
Oh, that's Joan Collins? Yes. The men help her find it, but when they get to the area where the people should be, they're not there. And so they're at a fork in the road, and one guy's like, well, let's try this way. And they walk down that area, they get to a dead end, whoops, wrong guess, and then a door opens, and they're like, hmm, maybe we should just go into this random door that just opened up. Yeah. And they do. Yeah, and it goes into this, like, kind of underground, crypt-themed amphitheater sort of thing, little mini thing. There's a half circle of stone seats and a throne at the at the front of this amphitheater where a stage might be. Yes. And then the door closes behind them, yeah. Yeah, they try to leave and it closes. And then suddenly the crypt keeper is there. And he tells them all to sit down, even though some of them are very against sitting down. Yeah. Because they want to leave. Yeah. And I'm like, but didn't I have you- places to be. Yeah, but didn't you just come for the tour? Right, yeah. What? <laughs> but yes, they all have things to do. But he forces them to sit and asks them, why did you come here? And they're like, I don't know. Just was driving home and saw the sign and decided to stop, I guess. And he's talking to the woman and he's like, well, what are your plans after this? And she's like, I don't, plans? Plans? And then- She's very confused and she kind of doesn't know what's going on. Yes, then we get her story. This is Joan Collins' story. And all through the house, this is a story from Vault of Horror 35 from 1954. From 1954, you Oh, I'm telling you, the EC Comics, like, horror comic era was, like, the early 50s. We see this man who is, it's on Christmas Eve, he puts a gift on the tree and it says, to Joanne, the best wife in the world. Mm Mm-hmm. And she just kills her husband. Just hits him in the back of the head with, uh, like, a fire poker. Yeah. And, like, I guess it doesn't matter, but we don't get any reason why. I mean, obviously she wants the money, but, like, Mm -hmm. the best wife in the world? It doesn't sound like you were, like, being denied money. I don't know. Yeah, I think what we're being denied is what we'd normally see narration from the Crypt Keeper. Like over the 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 beginning and end of all these stories, which we don't get here, mm-hmm. which I think would have been really interesting. Mm-hmm. Agreed. She just kills him and like it's nothing. And then she opens up the gift. And what's the gift? The brooch that she dropped in the crypt earlier. Yes. So we know that the rapper story happens after this. Yes. And she has the radio on. And they're they, on the radio, they say a man described as a homicidal maniac has escaped and is dressed like Santa. You know, lock all your doors. Lock all your doors and windows, yeah. Yes. We interrupt this program for a special announcement. A man described as a homicidal maniac has escaped from the hospital for the criminally insane. He is six foot three inches tall, 210 pounds, dark eyes, bald. And maybe wearing a Santa Claus costume taken from a shop in Burley. All residents of the county are warned to be on the lookout for this man and to phone the police if they see him. We now continue our program of carols for Christmas Eve. Which, this is not a news story. This is, I mean, maybe, I guess that was probably the first one. That's before Christmas Evil. That's uh-huh. before Silent Night, Deadly Night. 
I guess. But, like, I, I just always find it weird that people made such a big deal about Silent Night, Deadly Night, when there's other movies where yeah. there are killer Santas. Mm-hmm. So strange. But so she locks all the doors, and wouldn't you know it, worst luck of all time, he decides to go after their house. Mm-hmm. And obviously she can't call the police because right. she's murdered her husband. Yeah. Dang it. Just the worst luck. Wait, you didn't mention that she has a kid, which we meet before we see the Santa. Ah. She says, no, go to bed. Santa won't come if you stay up. Yeah, because she's really excited for Santa to come, as most kids are. There's genuine tension here. Yes. She's running around trying to lock all the doors and close all the windows. And he just comes out of nowhere and, like, grabs her through the grate, which totally made me jump. Uh-huh. Uh, he's a creepy Santa. The, he is. the looks that he gives her are very creepy. I wrote this Santa is terrifying. And so she decides that she's going to fake her husband's death. And so she pushes him down. I mean, she she throws him down the stairs to make it look like he fell. Uh-huh. Or she places him at the bottom of the stairs, whatever the fuck. I think she drops him, yeah. And she's like, hmm, I'd better put some blood on there. So she goes to get blood from like, where he died. Where he died. Like scoops it onto some on into a glass. Which doesn't blood dry really fast. Yeah, and then and then like pours it all around his head where there are oh, there is no po- wound. Exactly. Yeah. She pours it on his hair. Yeah. <laughs> like how much more obvious could it be that this is a faked death? Uh-huh. Also, the the blood looks terrible. It looks, it looks like, like paint. paint. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's bad. She cleans up the on her white shag carpet where she killed her husband because everything's white in this living room, including the fireplace, which why on earth would you do that to a fireplace you actually use? (laughs) Whatever. And then proceeds to clean up blood stains from the white shag carpet. Yes. Come on. (laughs) Like you you do. And then cleans up her hands and all of that. And then she looks up the stairs at her daughter's room. And what does she see? She sees that her daughter's bedroom's door is open. Yeah. So she runs upstairs, calls out her daughter's name, and then she's not there. So there's two problems here. One, has she been taken by this crazy Santa? Or two, did she see any of the shit that she's been doing disposing of her husband's body? Yes. Uh, And then she gets downstairs, and then she finds her daughter who's behind some curtains, and the daughter's totally fine and happy, and tells her mom what? I let him in! Santa's here! I let him in! And then Santa goes towards the camera, and then... Dead. Cut back to the crypt. And she's very put out by it. She says, this is all nonsense, or something like that. Nonsense. So then he approaches another one of the men, and he's like, what? I'm just on my way home to see my wife and children. The crypt keeper goes, and then? And he says, and then? And the crypt keeper says, and, and then? And then? It's really funny. And then? It's just a bunch of and then. And you? I'm on my way home to see my wife and children. And then? Hmm? And then? And then? 
And then <laughs> I'm gonna come in there and I'm gonna put my foot in your ass if you say and then again. So then we get this man's story and he tells his wife he has to leave, but he doesn't know when he'll be back. Yeah, which... this is called Reflection of Death, by the way. And this is actually from Tales from the Crypt, number 23 from 1951. Which right off the bat gives you a bad indication of how this is going to go. Uh-huh. He says goodnight to the children because his wife tells him to. And the little girl says, goodnight, daddy. He goes, goodbye, darling. Which again, not a good sign. What an asshole. Yes. Terrible person. She, his wife tells him to ring, ring me when you get there. Drive carefully. But it's all a ruse. He's found someone new. He drives to the apartment of his young mistress, who has sold all of her furniture because they're moving out together. Yes. She's given up so much. And he's like, uh... I've given up a lot more. Yeah. I was reading some stuff about this movie and somebody was like, um, he didn't deserve what happens to him. All he did was cheat on his wife. It's like, no, he left his family. Like he went out for smokes and never came back, left his family. Like that's fucked. Mm -hmm. He 100% deserves what happens to him. (laughs) So what does happen? They get in the car and they go on a drive to wherever their destination is. Yeah, and he's kind of freaking out a little bit, so she's like, you're tired, let me drive, I'll handle this. And he's he's sleeping in the car, and he is having this dream where he keeps saying, no, no, no. And then he wakes up and shouts, and she's just like, what the fuck? She she gets scared a little bit. But she doesn't say anything. Yeah, no. And... This scene is not shown well. I would agree, because it almost looks like she's intentionally driving them into a truck. Yes, it's it, it's very difficult to understand who's in which lane, who's in the wrong, and yeah. why. But they're, they are going to crash headlong into a Mack truck of some sort. Uh, and so he grabs the wheel and goes, no! And he yanks the wheel, they go off the road, they tumble over, and the filming of the tumbling is... Just wonderfully terrible. <laughs> They're just, it's very obvious that he's just like, Ugh, and just like laying with his neck on the side. And then they just spun the camera around. You know what I mean? In a sort of charming way, I guess. But it's very obviously an impersonation of the effect. And there's a crash. He wakes up in the crash and she's gone and he stumbles away. And Doesn't the car catch on fire? Yes, the car's on fire. Where does he go? So, the way it's shot might be confusing in the moment, but once you realize you know, it'll what's It'll be explained, yeah. Yeah, it uh-huh. makes sense. He starts walking, and suddenly he's encountering people, and everyone is afraid of him. Every time they look at his face, they're screaming. He tries to stop a car, and yeah, no, nothing. He ends up at his home. At his home. Like, his wife and kid, home. I forget the order, but the wife the wife answers the door first. She screams and closes the door, and then when he goes to the window to look in, she's there with another man. Yes, and, and he's trying to like calm her down. What's going on? What's going on? They call her somebody calls her Mrs. Wilson or something. Yeah. Or it's it shows you the Wilsons. Yeah. 
So you know it's not him. And so he goes to see his girlfriend. At her apartment that she had just sold, or was intending to sell, sold all the stuff. And she's there, sure enough, but she doesn't seem surprised. But she doesn't also seem to recognize him. She's because like, as you quickly who are discover, you? she is blind. She was blinded in the car accident that happened two years ago. Yes. So he's like, "What the fuck?" And he goes to look in those in the mirror, and he screams because he sees that he's a zombie. Yeah. It, and then it's, it's commented on. Hold on, it's commented on because she has all of her furniture still, and he's like, "What's going on?" And he explains. Don't you know me? It's me or whatever. And she's like, that's impossible. All your furniture is here. It's back. She's like, yeah, I bought it back two years ago after the accident that blinded me and killed this dude. And he's like, what? And he looks at like the coffee table or something, which has a mirrored surface. And that's when he sees himself as a zombie. And then he's like, no, no, no. Ah, ah. And he wakes up in the car again like it was all a dream. Yeah, that's probably the best part of it this, is. this little this little vignette. It's really good. And then the rest of this segment plays out exactly the same way it played out the first time around. He woke up from the bad dream. They're going to drive headlong into a truck. He grabs the steering wheel. They tumble down the, the street and then back to the crypt. Yes. So he's living life in like a great big old circle now. <laughs> And when they get back to the Crypt Creeper, he's just like, I assure you, I have a purpose. And this other guy is like, what are you playing at? This is all messed up. This is all hogwash or whatever. And uh, he's like, oh, is it? And then they see, then we get to see his story. So, so this is Poetic Justice. Uh, it's from Haunt of Fear, Number 12 from 1952. This one has a lot of steps to it, so I'm just going to kind of condense it together. Yeah. This pompous, rich asshole. And his father. <laughs> yes. Who's even more rich. They live together. Yes, they live together. Or at least I assume it's his father. Yes. Might be his elderly lover, but they can't call each other that. I'm pretty sure he calls him his father. Does he? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Are you sure he's not just calling him daddy? I don't know. <laughs> Always a possibility. <laughs> anyway. But anyway, he hates his neighbor across the street. Because he's driving down property values with his messy property and the dogs. He's got a bunch of dogs, even though they're kept in a like a kennel area. The kids all go there, which, yes, is a little weird, but it was the 70s. It was the 70s. Uh, but... He even implies that he is, I mean. The we don't know what's going on in that house or exactly. whatever. Yeah. Uh -huh. But we do know because he says he knows. <laughs> what happens is he takes um, rubbish and turns it into, like he remakes it, he refurbishes it into like toys for the children to play with. So that makes him assume that the house must be gross on the inside, even though it isn't on he the outside. He finds out later that the house inside is perfectly spotless. And, like, honestly, what it comes down to is he hates that this other person is happy and he's not. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He looks at his life and he's like, you shouldn't be happy. Why do the kids all love you? Why do you do nice things? Why do you give people presents on your birthday? Yeah. It's a morality tale about judging your neighbors when you know nothing about what's going on with them. I guess so. But as I was saying, 
I think that he just, he's a very unhappy person, and he just hates that this guy, who shouldn't be happy, he has no money, he looks downtrodden, he's old, he's a widow, like, he has all the reasons to not be happy, and yet he is. Yeah, he manages to be happy in spite of it all. Yes, there's a weird portion of this where the old man, like I said, he's a widow. Oh, this is Peter Cushing, by the way. He's the you-may-fire-when-ready guy uh, from from Star Wars, Grand Moff Tarkin. Oh. And he's Van Helsing from the Hammer Dracula. And he's also, oh, God, is he Victor Frankenstein in one of them? He has a, a storied horror history. Uh, but he's fantastic in this. I absolutely love him in this. His performance is fucking heartbreaking. It really, really is. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. But so there's this weird portion of this story where, as I said, he's a widow. So he communes with his dead wife yeah, via Ouija? One time there's a Ouija board that he talks to her, but the rest of the time he talks to her like she's still alive and he just keeps his photo on the table in front of him while he's eating and stuff like that and just carries out conversations with her. Right, but during this Ouija session, there's this strange adaptation of it where he's attached chalk to a planchette. Oh, yeah. He has a second planchette with chalk on it, on a chalkboard, yeah. And it spells out danger? And he's like, like for who? The children? <laughs> he just doesn't know what, and it doesn't help him in any way, shape, or form. It's so strange and out of place. Why is this in this part of this Yeah, film? why he couldn't just talk to his dead wife through the picture? I do not know. Bizarre. Out of nowhere, never gets brought up again. Here's the thing. Apparently... Peter Cushing's real-life wife really actually died just before filming this. Yeah, so when he's, like, talking to the character's dead wife, apparently that's, like, that was, like, kind of what he was going through in real life. Aww. Yeah, that's fucked, right? It's very sad. So anyway, what is this pompous dickhead across the street due to him. He gets his dogs taken away. He gets him fired. Right before his pension would kick in. So he has no income now. Yeah. So he takes away his friends. He takes away his dogs. He takes away his money from his job. He takes away the children by telling the parents that they're probably getting molested, which, cough, cough, but anyway. Well, if this was a real life scenario, If this yeah, was real life. It'd be fucking yeah. weird to just let your kids go over unsupervised to some stranger's house. Just some because old he man's seems house nice. That gives yeah. them toys made from garbage. <laughs> well, but I, he, the dude says it's garbage. It could just be used. You know what I mean? Like, it could just, like, we know what that dude's values are. And they're really fucked values. But I love that we're supposed to feel, like, upset because the kids say, but he's so nice. And it's just like, God, the 70s yeah. didn't understand anything if about he was, molestation. If he was actually doing anything to those kids, this would this might play out the same exact way. But yes. in the context of this story, what he does to this old man is absolutely terrible. Yes. Then the kicker is he sends him a bunch of hate Valentine's Day cards. With little rhymes that tell him, you fucking suck and you smell and you should kill yourself. <laughs> and 
this is the moment that I wrote down. I said, Jesus Christ, this Valentine scene is devastating. And it's just him with his wife. Oh, I have mail. Oh, it's a Valentine. And he and he reads it out loud and he's like, huh. Oh, it must be a joke and I just don't get it or something like that. Right. And then he moves on to the next one and it's just as mean. And he's like, oh, I'm not even finishing that one. And then he moves on to the next one and they're all really fucking terrible. And they're, you know, they're kind of jokey, silly, but they're just like, one literally, literally just says, kill yourself. Yeah, one actually says, kill yourself. Noise here, children, loud is a bell, pungent is perfume, but you only smell. Hmm? Noise here, children, loud is a bell, pungent is perfume, but you only smell. I don't think I like that. A tree is beautiful if its owner prunes it. But our town isn't, because your presence through it. Oh. Some people live in the country. Some people live in the town. Why don't you do us a service? Jump in the river. Literally, it's a problem today. Yeah. That people make that joke and... You as a teacher deal with that. Yes, I deal with it as a teacher. I mean, a guy that I really like, his name was Ralph Garman. He used to be on K-Rock. I... I loved him because he. I agreed with him most of the time when it came to film. So I looked forward to when he would talk about film yeah. every day. His like movie beat, I think, is what he had on K Rock. Yes, but unfortunately, that was a joke he said a lot. Oh, about how you should kill yourself. You should just kill yeah. yourself. And I, it's like it. It was. It was painful to hear someone I liked yeah. making that joke. When we all know that that's what happens online and that's how bullying happens and kids anonymously tell other kids to kill themselves because they don't think it's that big of a deal. Yeah, and then kids end up actually committing suicide. Exactly. there's no excuse for not knowing that. Like, this scene was like cyberbullying, but just through actual mail. It yeah, was yeah, bizarre. Exactly. No, you're you're 100% right. And the, the shitty thing is, is the excuses that come out is, oh, I was just joking. I don't care if you were just joking or not. You do know that this, this shit actually does result in people killing themselves. So, like, you are willfully doing something that might lead to somebody's death. And those people That's never fucked. actually feel bad. That's the funny thing. In this movie, they try to make it fe- seem like he really does care. Well, he just is kind of like, oh, I guess I misjudged him. And, oh, I guess I, huh. He, like, he gets a little melancholy. He doesn't, like, feel super guilty. He's not devastated by it. Well, a year later, before anything bad happens to him, he feels really guilty. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. He talks to his dad about it. But which, so anyway. Which is not true to real life. They show up at his house because the dog that he kept, the dog that came back to him, wouldn't shut up. And then it stopped barking altogether. And they're like, something might be up. So they go over there. They open the door and it's unlocked. And this is when he realizes, oh, the house is spotless. I thought it would be a pigsty in here. Another assumption that he made that led him to actions that were absolutely terrible And then they find him swinging from the ceiling. He killed himself. 
and presumably his one dog that managed to run away before they took all the rest of his dogs away and came back, presumably that dog's dead too. So, a year passes. And what happens on Valentine's Day? A year later, he comes back from the dead to exact his revenge. Yep. No real reason given for it. Nope, it just happens. Yeah, he comes out of the grave a year later and murders that dude and leaves his own version of a Valentine rhyme. Yes. So when the dad comes home, he sees his son face down on the table and a big piece of like white butcher paper is there and written in blood is a rhyme that ends with, we assume the word heart. And then he folds open the butcher paper and it's his son's heart there. Mm-hmm. And the dad screams. And then that's the end of the story. We're back in the crypt. Yes. And it's also a beating heart. By oh the yeah. Uh huh. It looked pretty cool. It looked big, but it looked pretty cool. The next one is super uninspired. It is... Well, it's absolutely inspired. It's inspired by a story that already exists. Exactly. This is Wish You Were Here from The Haunt of Fear number 22 in 1953. And it is a retelling of The Monkey's Paw. Yes. Which you all know because we did Wishmaster and we did Wish Upon. Yeah, so we've talked about how... How the monkey's paw works and how Kelsey has actually taught this in her curriculum in the past. Yeah. It's you have a talisman that grants you three wishes, and every time you do it, something shitty happens. Okay. Uh Some kind of ironic twist. (laughs) And it usually involves death. Which Wish Upon didn't gather that the twists were supposed to be ironic. (laughs) They were just additional bad things totally unrelated would happen. (laughs) And the worst. The worst kills in Wishmaster were the same way. But generally, they did try to be ironic twists on the wishes, which is one of the reasons I really like Wishmaster. Wishmaster is the tits. Kelsey, not a, not the biggest fan, but I love it. We're going to continue the series. Awesome. We yes. There. There's so many series we've started. So anyway, how does this one go? This one is about a man who is in a lot of debt and has to sell all his shit. And when they're about to sell it, the wife's like, do you remember when we got this thing in China? And then it's like, huh, this thing that we got so very long ago that we didn't even bother to look at. We just bought it. Oh, look, it gives us wishes. How about that? Yeah. So they decide she's thinking about making wishes. And the husband is like, hold on. This sounds really familiar to me. <laughs> he fucking calls it out. Yeah. In the movie, he's like, this sounds like this story I once heard called The Monkey's Paw. If only it could give us three wishes. That storybook nonsense. It reminds me of a tale I once read. What was it? We could pay all our debts. The Monkey's Paw. That's what it was. But she makes her wish for lots and lots of money. And he's like, wait a minute. I just remembered the story. You're not supposed to do that. <laughs> I wish. I read it when I was at school. I wish for lots and lots of money. Oh, no, no. Too late, I already have. And I've just remembered what happened at the end of the story. Well, you said yourself it was just a story. Like our three wishes. And then he gets a phone call from his accountant, who is played by Roy Dotrice, who 
has been in a lot of things, but I know him with that name because he he narrated a lot of the Game of Thrones books. He has since passed away, but he narrated a lot of those books on Audible, you know, so it was like read by Roy Dotrice or whatever. The Game of Thrones, book one of A Song of Ice and Fire by George R. R. Martin, read by Roy Dotrice. So I really, I was excited about seeing him in this. Aww. But yeah, he calls him and he says, I've got to talk to you. It's about money. He's like, okay. So he drive. he's driving there and he's being followed by... A skeleton on a motorcycle. That's right. <laughs> it's like a biker with a skeleton mask on, but it's all very obviously a mask. Well, I would actually argue that maybe it's supposed to be like, you know how, I mean, we have them now, I assume. I mean, maybe they had them back then. Those masks that yeah, look like. Yeah, the masks like, that make you look like you're a skeleton. Yeah, like but a, this like, is like a full face one. Like, yeah. And he has a helmet on top of that. So like, you know <laughs> what I mean? It's, yeah, it's weird. Either a biker's just really, really, really trying to harm his eyesight and his peripheral vision while he's on a motorcycle, which would be so fucking stupid. Or this is supposed to be some sort of biker angel of death, yeah. like the Ghost Rider or something. Yeah, that's what I think it is. Or like just a joke about like, there, here comes death. Yeah, uh-huh. Of course, when the wife finds out that her husband died, well, that sucks. And then she finds out, you got lots and lots of money, just like you wished for. So she's like, okay, well, then I'll go ahead and wish for my husband back since the thing works. And he's How like, does she make that wish? I don't know. She asks for him to come back just as he was the moment before the crash. Yes. And I love that the guy's like, no, you mustn't wish him back. I've read the monkey's paw. <laughs> this doesn't go well. Is she the only one who hasn't read the monkey's paw? Yes. Do you know the story of the monkey's paw? That's the story of the old couple who are given a monkey's paw, which entitles them to three wishes. They wish for money. And they get the money because their son is killed in a machine in his factory, crushed, in it. You mustn't wish Ralph back. Why not? Well, in the story, this mother wishes her son back, and he does come back, but in the condition in which he died, mutilated, mangled, torn. I must be careful not to make the same mistake. I shall wish that Ralph were back as he was before the accident. But she does it anyway, so that's Roy Dotrice who's, who's visiting her to tell her about all the money she has. And so she explains everything and then makes that wish. And then some fucking, like, pallbearers come in with the casket and they're like, what's going on? I wished him back as he was before the crash. And they're like, oh yeah, he died of a heart attack. And then that's what caused the crash. So this is how he was before the crash. He's dead. Open it. Quickly. No, no, don't look. His body was mangled in the crash. Mangled? It wasn't mangled. Mr. Jason died of a heart attack at the wheel. Okay. There's a problem with this, but we'll get to it in a second. <laughs> and so, deeply frustrated and devastated as the wife is, she spends her last wish. And what is the wish? I want him alive now and forever. So he cannot die ever again. And so he wakes up. And the accountant realizes what a mistake she made because he's like howling in pain. And she's like, what's wrong? And he's like, are you kidding me? He's been embalmed. His body is filled with embalming fluid and it's burning up his insides. Uh -huh. 
He's like, help me, help me. She ends up cutting open his stomach and yes, all tries of his like to kill him. All of his like bleached insides come out. Yes. And he's not dying. And she realizes, oh, I wished him to be alive forever and never be able to die. <sighs> and this is how the story ends. Yes. Every piece of him is alive forever. Here's the problem. He's not alive? Well, yeah, like she cuts off his hand and then like the hand's moving on its own. And that's kind of cool. This is all neat, except for the fact that he was brought back to her just as he was before the crash. The embalming happened after the crash. So he wouldn't be embalmed. He would just be dead of a heart attack. That is a true statement. Well said. Oh, well. Point well made. So we go back to the Crypt Keeper. And he tells them, what's more important is what you may see. These are warnings. I forget who he's talking to. But there's one more story to tell. Blind Alleys. Yes. Which is taken from Tales of the Crypt number 46 from 1955. Ah, that's why he said what's more important is what you may see. (laughs) Oh, yeah, because it's Blind Alleys. Yeah. uh So it's this dipshit general. (laughs) Oh, what a fucking asshole. Yes. And again, I think we can, I think we can. Yeah. He takes over as an administrator for a home for the blind, all these blind uh, men. And Which he is runs almost things. run, I mean, like, like an orphanage? Kind they of. They all but sleep for, in the same. older men. Yeah. They all sleep in the same quarters. Well, I assume they don't have a lot of money, but this military dude runs things like an even tighter ship than necessary. Because he treats them like they're in the military. Well, also, he just wants all the money for himself. Yeah, his office is nice. He's got beautiful paintings up and a fire roaring in the fireplace. And tons of food. And, yeah. Even his dog has blankets when the people are freezing. But they get practically no food. And then they get no blankets, no heating. They're all standing by the radiators and the radiators aren't emitting any heat. And then until at one point. One of their guys, like their their chosen spokesman, comes to him and is like, "What the fuck, dude? Like, this is terrible." He's like, oh, "I'm running an efficient ship. This place, you know, bleeds money." And the dude calls him out on it, like, "Oh yeah, you seem to have enough of everything that you need." Also, we're not in the military; we're just blind human beings. You know. Now this guy I recognized. Why did I know him? Oh, because this is the dude from. Um, Clockwork Orange. Right. Yeah. He gets a shit hand in that one, too. But he also yeah, gets he his also comeuppance gets, in that one. Yeah, but he also gets... I um, mean, his revenge is what I mean. Yeah, he gets his revenge. Uh, but yeah, he's also blind. Right! Yes! <laughs> he gets blinded in that one. How funny. Yeah, interesting. Patrick McGee is his name. So the general is just like, get the fuck out of here. I don't care. Right? And... The guy, the the blind guys are like, that's not good enough. You let one of us die. Oh yeah, we didn't say that. One of the di- one of the guys died from the cold, and they bring him to show him, and he's obviously like shocked. But then he, he needs to like put back up his emotional reinforcements and been like, well, nope, he just it was his time to die, not my concern, and goes back to business or whatever. So they decide to collect bacon bits during breakfast, which is weird because we've already been told that they haven't got a lot of food. Well, they all get one strip of bacon. I guess. And they cut a piece off of it and they all gather it together and this one guy keeps it. And so the next time the general dude shows up with his dog, 
who we didn't mention. He has this ferocious dog, this Shane. German shepherd, Shane. Yeah. It's not the dog's fault. He well, was yeah, no, he was raised terribly, well, well trained, but vicious. And so next time the guy comes into his office, this this blind man, Carter, Patrick McGee, lays out the bacon in a path till they can take him all the way down into the basement of this building. And he's following it, eating the bacon. Dude doesn't even realize that the dog walked away because he always expects him to be nearby. And then take him into the basement and then into a room where they lock him in. And then he starts barking and yowling. And when the guy is like, Shane? Where are you, Shane? Yeah, I didn't buy that he wouldn't have noticed that his beloved dog walked off by itself. Yeah. That was a little hard to believe. So he tries to look for Shane, and then a mob of blind men attack him and shove him into a room very similar to the one that the dog is in right next door. And leave him in there for a while. And after a while, he's like, you have to feed me. I'm hungry. And they're like... We're not going to we're going to we're not going to feed you. We're going to treat you like shit like you treated us like shit. And he's like, well, fine. If you don't feed me, at least feed my dog. And Carter is like, oh, don't worry. He'll eat soon. Well, at least feed my dog, please. He'll be fed all right. Major Rogers. sir. And then we see all these blind men. Building something. They're constructing something out of wooden nails. And this is just not possible. Okay, the building of something is absolutely possible, but what we see them build is a lot less likely for a group of men who are all blind. Yes. Which isn't to say blind men can't be capable of something. Just what they build, they would have fucked themselves up. Yes, they would have gotten hurt badly if yeah, they made this. really, really badly. So what we find, I mean, we all know where this is going. I actually wrote down my comment, said the last segment is so long. Like, we know where it's going. Just do it. Yeah, there is a long period where you're just watching them build shit, and you're like, uh -huh. why is this here? Until finally, they let him out. He sees that he's in this newly constructed hallway that wraps around, and it makes kind of a U-shape. And then it starts to narrow, and along the walls are a bunch of razor blades. This is what I'm talking about. They, In order to place them and everything, they would have really fucked themselves up. Otherwise, yes. it's not actually dangerous for this man to go through this. Mm -hmm. And then there are, you'll notice on the set when he's actually required to walk through them, that they're just a bunch of, like, silver-painted pieces of something. <laughs> They're very obviously not razor blades when he's required to actually squeeze through it. But of course, they're not real razor blades. And then he gets through it and he's like, oh, okay. And then he keeps walking around and then he sees another door. And then the door opens and out comes Shane. And then he runs and finds the, the hallway with all the razor blades and then the lights go out. And then he gets attacked by Shane. We didn't mention that they killed the assistant dude who also works there. Yeah, which I didn't like. Yeah, he wasn't doing anything. He was just going to rat him out. I felt like they just killed him for no good reason. But he was, a, he was a passive observer who watched them be treated like this and did nothing. What could he have done? This seemed to be a government-run facility. I like, guess. Like, go to somebody. I guess. I yeah, we, we should have seen more about why he deserved this fate. Mm -hmm. Talking about deserving fates we'll get to in a little bit. Uh, but, the, okay, now we're back in the crypt. 
everyone's had their stories told. This is the finale of the movie. What happens? This is when the Crypt Keeper says, I told you earlier that I was giving you warnings. I lied. <laughs> well, it's not... Okay, so the fact that it's a warning implies that this is something that's going to happen to you in the future, so keep an eye out. Or you could change. Or, yeah, you could change your way like it's a like it's a Christmas carol sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But no, basically what he's warning them about is you've lived your lives really fucking shitty, and now... You're all going to hell. Now you may go. He's like the St. Peter of hell. Yes. And the door finally opens and a guy goes out there and he looks down. He's like, what's going on? And then he falls. And as he falls, we see what he's falling into, which is just this giant pit of fire and red shit and all of that. Yes. They're going to hell. Because they have died without repentance. And so they will be in the flames for all eternity. With that said, we have a woman who killed her husband for money. We have a man who left his wife and child for a younger mistress. We have a man who drove a poor old man to suicide. We have a military man who treated the blind really shitty and one of them even died. And we have a man who lost his fortune. Okay. What did he do? I knew you were getting to that. And I wrote this down, and I don't understand what it means, because I didn't put enough notes. Uh-huh. But I wrote very specifically, he is a terrible person who is now in debt. Like, I guess he earned his money from doing shitty things, yes, right? Yes, I think that's the implication. He's just not... Re- yeah, so I wrote down, they're in hell. But what did the embalming guy do that was so bad? He was punished in life already, I've said before that occasionally in horror comics, punishments of circumstance is not necessarily a judgment. Though there are plenty of awful people getting their just desserts, that's not always the case. But hell is absolutely a judgment. So is the argument that all rich people go to hell? He already lost all of his money in life already, so he he's not rich. Here's my problem with it. Oh, I'm getting, that, that, uh, That's my next point, but let me finish this and I'll let you say that one. The monkey's paw irony already killed him for his eagerness to wish his already pretty cushy life to improve. And then I wrote down, wait a minute. No, it's his wife's actually. He explicitly told her not to make that wish. Yeah. (laughs) So why is the additional judgment of hell necessary in any way? But anyway, you're right. I mean, we could make the argument that if he's so super rich, you know, all billionaires are bad guys, that whole thing. But there's another problem with this story specifically. Kelsey, what is it? He's supposed to be alive for all eternity. He, he can die. never die. Doesn't make sense. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> I wrote that down, too. That was my next point. But it ends officially with the Crypt Keeper looking at the camera and saying, Who's next? Perhaps you. And now. Who's next? Perhaps you? Yeah, I'll give it a shot. I mean, you know, it's my job, right? Oh, isn't this totally sick and twisted? Make sure it doesn't happen to you. Live a repentant life. Yes. And that's the end of Tales from the Crypt, which is generally 
exactly what was going on in the comics. It's basically what was going on in the HBO TV show uh, with the skeleton version of the Crypt Keeper. It's all the same. But yeah, it was just kind of okay. You know, I enjoyed it. But nothing about it I was really like, wow. Except maybe for Peter Cushing. I really, really liked his performance. He was a sweet old man and... When he read those Valentines, it just crushed me. Yes, it, he did give a good performance. I think this movie is fun and fast-paced. Yeah, oh yeah, no, like, you're through it, and it's done. And at no point was I like, is this still going on? Except for in Blind Alleys, when after they captured him, it just kept going. And it's like, we get it, we know what the twist is going to be. Stop trying to delay it. Yes, but that's the only time. The rest of the movie is really breezy. Yes. None of them really stood out. Like, I wouldn't say, like, ooh, I really liked this one. Like, they all had good things about them, and they all had bad things about them. Uh-huh. I felt. Some of them had good performances. Some of them had genuine scares, like the Santa. Some of them had, like, surprising things, like the end of the one where he's leaving his family. Reflection like, of death, yeah. They all had something good. But they all had something bad. So I just kind of left it thinking, I'm happy I saw it. It was fun. It was fast. But I'm not telling everyone to go see it either. Exactly. Exactly. So with that said, what do you think it has on Rotten Tomatoes? 20 reviews, not enough for a consensus, but 20 reviews, which means it has to be a multiple of five. So that's your hint. I'm going to guess it has a 55. Try 90%. 90? Yeah, so out of 20 reviews, only two of them were negative. Wow. 18 of them were positives. No Metacritic, no cinema score. Wow, I was way off. Yeah, like, I enjoyed it. I think it has, I think, obviously, sort of like pride of place in horror history, especially within anthology films in horror. You know, I wonder if it wasn't for this, would we have Creepshow? Probably not. If it wasn't for Creepshow, would we have Trick or Treat? Probably not. It's important. It's important. And even though we had In the Dead of Night back in the 40s, I had never fucking heard of it before we saw it. But it was good. Yeah. And I seriously doubt a lot of other people had seen it too. Especially in the 40s, it wasn't exactly a time when you could, you know, go back and watch something again. Do you think it is not a coincidence that both Dead of Night and this one include a story about Christmas? Do you think it's possible that the creators are, like... Aware of it? Yeah. Well, I mean, the story about Christmas and all through the house comes from a horror comic book from 1954, The Vault of Horror. But, I mean, not all those stories were terribly original in the first place. So I suppose it's possible. I just thought it would be cool. It's almost like an homage type Yeah. Thing. Uh-huh. So do you think 90% is overrated or underrated, Kelsey? Overrated. Over- and I got to say, it it hurts me to say overrated in this case. It's just that 90 is fucking ridiculous. That's really high. And I think that's because there's only 20 reviews. But even still, 90 is way too high. But I could see, I mean, I guess as a score, it's way too high. But all it's saying is that people overall liked it. And if the only two reviews were yours and mine, it would have 100%. True. So I guess I could see how it winds up with a 90. But still, if we're, if we're turning this into a score, 
90 is too high. What would you give it? I'm going to give it a 70 because... That's exactly what I was going to say. Because I think it's too good to be in the 60s. Yes. But not good enough to be higher than 70. Agreed. So, solid 70. Good movie. Good time. seeing if you want to see it. But it's not the type of movie that I would go, oh, you should totally see this. Right. There's nothing spectacular about it. Right. Yeah. I mean, but I'm glad I saw it. It's well made and it's good. It is, yeah. Like there was not, th- there's nothing about it that I'm like, it's not even great. Like it's not even well made. It's just a meh movie. It's uh-huh. it's good. That's the end of 1972's Tales from the Crypt. Before we get to our next movie, Kelsey, horror trivia. What is the name of the charter boat used to chase down Jaws? Fuck you. <laughs> oh, fuck you so hard. <laughs> People are yelling at the their phones or whatever it is they're listening to this on. <laughs> oh, I hate you so, so much. For whatever reason, the only name I can think of is the Enola Gay, which is kind of fucked. The Enola Gay famously carried the bomb. Um I can't I can't think of it. Oh fuck. The Orca. The Orca. Fuck my life. Oh, that one really hurt. I hope you know how much you devastated me today, Kelsey. <laughs> oh, that really, really hurt. And uh, now I'm regretting giving you a really fucking easy one with this <laughs> next question. <laughs> so speaking of Christmas horror. Yes. What is the name of the Central European folklore character who, in contrast with Santa Claus and sometimes considered his counterpoint sidekick, Punishes children for bad behavior. Krampus. Yes. Krampus. So easy, and I hate you. (laughs) To be fair, the orca should have been really easy, and it really, really hurts that I couldn't bring that to the front of my mind. Uh, Okay. That brings us to our next movie. Not really, but I had nothing for this fucking movie. 2018's All the Creatures Were Stirring. Written and directed by David Ian McKendry and Rebecca McKendry, starring Constance Wu, Jonathan Kite, and Jocelyn Donahue. Jocelyn Donahue, Kelsey, did you recognize her at all? Yeah, she's the girl from The House of the Devil. That is correct. She's also in Doctor Sleep. She's Abra's mom, and she's in Insidious Two. She's the young Lorraine. Uh, and no. Chase. Yes. Is her name Lorraine, too? Lorraine. Lorraine! Yes. They're his, both named Lorraine. His mom is named Lorraine, just like his, his wife name. is named Lorraine in the Conjuring movies. Yes. Lorraine! He yells her name a lot. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. So that's, I think we might have commented on that in one of those episodes, too. Uh, also, Chase Williamson, who is kind of a pod favorite of ours. He's from John Dies at the End. We talked about him last when we saw The Guest, because he's the boyfriend that gets run off in The Guest. Mm -hmm. But we like him a lot, actually. Are we ever going to watch John Dies at the End? It's not a horror movie. Sure it is. There's evil monsters that only he can see and shit like that. It's absolutely a horror movie. There's never any kind of scare. Sure there is. All right. Well, I'll I'll add it. I fucking... 
Paul I Giamatti love, goes out to the truck to look at the thing. and it'll, then, it'll be an excuse for me to gush about the books. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Anyways, he's in it very briefly. <laughs> he's like the first face that you see that you're like, oh, hey, it's yeah. that guy. And then he like dies right away. <laughs> yeah, he's the first person to die. And you're just like, oh, cool. <laughs> Anyways, what is all the creatures we're stirring about? The rapper here does not, they don't give you any information. They even at one point ask, are we on a date? And they're like, I don't know. And you're just like, neither do we, well, movie. He says, he says, I just contacted you since we were both alone. We might as well like be right. alone together. But then it's later Eve. it's it's interpreted that they've never met before this. No, I don't. I felt like maybe they worked together or something like that. That's I the impression know. I got. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yes. They've met up for some kind of pseudo date Christmas Eve. Just so they have somebody to spend time with on Christmas Eve. To watch a play. At a really small, like, independent theater in, like, a strip mall, which if you've seen a lot of independent theater like Kelsey and I have, you know this specific place. You have been, been there before. Yes, I've yes. been in this theater before. 100% you've been to this theater. <laughs> it's this really low rent, like black box type thing. Uh-huh. And it's meant to be kind of interpretive. And I gotta say, that's probably the best part it's of so, the oh, film. It's really charming. And what's interesting is I read a review that thought the movie was just okay. But it said, uh, it had a lot, for my uh, from my perspective, the reviewer ta- just t- talked trash the entire review. And then at the end, ended it with, it's pretty good. And you're just like, what? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Maybe but, in that way that it's fun to watch a really shitty movie. Maybe, I don't know. Whatever. The Not reviewer <laughs> The reviewer says the play parts mm-hmm. are the worst parts because they are so bad. And I was like No, they are intentionally bad yeah, and they're I like the like, best part. I was like, how did it go over your head that that was on purpose? It's so fucking aw- at the end of every single vignette, I was like, oh, how how is this gonna look on stage? <laughs> so the the concept is is that in this play that they're watching. It's just a series of vignettes that's acted out by three people in gray and black clothing with black boxes. And then it transitions into the actual segment that we watch, fully acted with sets and props and all of that, new characters and everything. And then at the end of the segment, it comes back to the theater and we get to see what those three actors were doing on stage to act this moment out. And it's just at the end of every segment, I was like, oh, good. We get to see what they were doing on stage. I was so excited. Yes. It, it was, was great. great. It was really well was done. Great. But that's 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 what this movie is about. Each story being some tragic, twisted Christmas tale. Yes. The movie is available with a subscription on Hoopla, Sling, and where we watched it on Shudder. You can rent it for only a dollar on iTunes, Google, and YouTube, or $3 on Amazon, Fandango, and Vudu, and Microsoft. You can buy it for $5 on Google and YouTube, or $7 on iTunes, and $10 on all the rest. With all those amounts said, should people watch All the Creatures Were Stirring? I'm gonna say no. Not because I don't think that there is... I think there are ideas here. Yeah. I think there are ideas and I think that there is talent sitting 
in there. And it's very intentionally supposed to be a little silly, a but little it, goofball. But it just can't come out. It can't. The performances are god-awful. Some of them, oh, especially. They're so bad. They're just really flat. And, and, and the pacing the is awful. And the direction isn't great. And it's it's really, a, it's it's disappointing because there are some of the things in the stories I was like, this, yeah. do this. Uh-huh. And then they didn't. Yeah. No, I, I absolutely agree. It's it's not worth it. It is short. So if you do decide, yeah, you know what? I'll just give it a shot. I don't got anything better to do. It is thankfully very, very short. Yes. But it's just not worth it. I wouldn't recommend if somebody says, hey, I saw this movie and I was kind of interested in it. Should I watch it? Even if you were kind of interested in it based on the description, I'd still say, nah, not worth it. Yeah. You can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 2018's All the Creatures Were Stirring. I got everything. <laughs> Is dinner ready yet? Merry Christmas! Bills on cocktails ring. Thank you. I can't wait to watch you all die. <laughs> You sure you don't want to wait in the van? You know what? I should wait by my car. You'll be visited by three ghosts. ghosts. Pure poppycock. Someone will open a gift, and the next person can steal someone else's already opened gift. This is going to be so much fun! (laughs) Hey guys, come check out this star. Kelsey, can you get us started? How does All the Creatures Were Stirring begin? So, this is what I was talking about. It's not clear. These two people meet up in front of a theater. It's kind of said like, oh, I just thought we were orphans on Christmas. It's not that confusing. <laughs> well, it's confusing because I don't know if they know each other. That's or the not. only confusing part. What's what they're doing is not confusing. Right. They're, they're two single people with nothing to do on Christmas Eve, so they're spending it together. But the end of the film would suggest that they don't know each other, but it's the beginning not... implies that they do know each other. And that yeah. it's not a blind date. Right, yeah. So I don't understand. Yeah, no, it's not exactly the strongest premise <laughs> in the world. But so they are meeting up for a play called All the Creatures Were Stirring. And the ticket lady is a bitch. This is a weird little side thing with the ticket yeah. lady and her twin. And they don't like to talk to people. It's like supposed to be funny, but it's... It's really not. It's not. Comedy is all about pacing, and the pacing in this movie is so bad. Uh-huh. It is so awful. They don't know how to hit the the mark. Like, 
when I'm teaching my kids how to do comedy, it's always like, no, you need to go faster. You need to get to the punchline or you're going to lose the audience. Depending on the scenario. Right. Yeah. But it feels that this movie just does not have motivation to move through its stories. It doesn't have like, and that's not to mean that some of them aren't short. Some of them are very short. Mm -hmm. But some of them it's like, yes, we get the premise. Move to the next thing. Uh Uh-huh. The premise isn't as funny as you think it is. Mm-hmm. As soon as they start their whatever it is, I don't know if it's a date or friends hanging out. Is this a date? Should I be asking that? He has a phone call. Now, I didn't know to pay attention to these phone calls. No, it doesn't matter. The phone calls tell you nothing. Uh, as a matter of fact, they only confuse things even more. Really? And I'll talk about why once we know what's going on with this rapper story at the end. Okay. But... Because I never paid attention to them because I thought we were supposed to be paying attention to what happened to her because she has this creepy dude staring at her every time her date isn't around. Uh huh. And this sometimes old even guy when is he is like staring at her, yeah. this guy uh-huh. is creepily staring at her. So I thought we were supposed to be paying attention to that guy. I thought they were going to use the phone calls as an excuse for this dude to like get closer and closer or something. Uh huh. No, not at all. There's a whole thing going on with the fucking phone calls that I wish I had been paying attention to. No, it's, trust me, it doesn't tell you anything. Okay. <laughs> like, you think it does? It, it's supposed to be weird foreshadowing, but, and then, oh my god, when you realize what his phone call is about, oh no, really the only thing that the phone call is supposed to reveal is his secret. But all the details that come along with that phone call just raise a lot of questions that the movie does not have answers for. (laughs) And I'll get into that. So they go inside and there's a total of 10 other people. Now, I was paying really close attention to how many people were there every time. They only remark about the fact that people have left once. Uh Uh-huh. But people keep leaving. People leave. In the middle of performances and stuff. Back. Really? Okay. It goes from like 10 to like 8, back to 9, down to 7. Like, it, it, it keeps going back and forth. And I was like, there's no way that that wasn't like done on purpose for some but reason. what does it mean? Yeah. What does it mean? I have no clue. I certainly was not paying attention to what they fucking looked like. I was just doing a quick head count. Yeah. Except for the creepy dude who would stare at her. And this was upsetting that dude just shows up, disappears, yes. shows up, disappears. I that too. Pissed me off so badly. Yeah. I was like, so what? People are just getting up in the middle of performances? Right, because there's only one intermission. Yes, there's one intermission, and that is when they will make the call of, oh my God, there's so few people left. Uh huh. I'm like, yeah, but there weren't. Everybody wasn't there every time. Yeah, uh-huh. I guess they could be in the bathroom, but it's like again, who gets up in the middle of a performance in a tiny, like tiny theater? theater? Yeah, uh-huh. nobody does. Especially these people who gave them shit for clapping at the beginning of the play, yeah, and then left in the middle of intermission. Like again, I'm like, okay, funny joke that they start to clap and everyone glares at them. Not so funny when all those people who glared at them left during intermission. Right. Just didn't, just don't. There's no internal consistency. None. Yeah. None. Which is distracting. Very distracting. Mm-hmm. 
So the first show gets starts, and it's called The Stockings Were Hung. And there's a director lady that comes out with a weird hairdo, just stares at the audience, pulls the next title card off of the easel, and then leaves. <laughs> so the first story is called The Stockings Were Hung. And basically, they're all just phrases from The Night Before Christmas. Right? That's the name of that poem? Yes. So... They're all going to have just little half sentences. The stockings were hung, dash away all, all through the house. These are all the, the short names. And then there's the little twist where the whole movie is called All the Creatures Were Stirring. Yes. But, of course, in the actual story, it's no creatures were stirring, right? Not even a mouse. Right. Not a creature and was stirring, not house, even not a, a mouse. not a creature was yeah. stirring. Uh-huh. Yeah. But remember, that's the name of the play, too. Yes. And yes, it's very, very cute. It's a black box theater. And like we said earlier, the parts where it's just them is so good. Uh-huh. Like, I it's, get... It's just funny little visual jokes and stuff like that that we get. Obviously, I completely understand why they wanted us to see the actual movie. Yes, we didn't want to have to watch these three I performers perform every role. I would have laughed my ass off. It would have gotten tiring after a while, but uh-huh. like, oh my god, it, to just just to watch one all the way through would have been good. What I would have really, really liked is if <laughs> this movie was better, because again, it's not good. <laughs> if the movie was better, if there was some sort of like special feature on the DVD, <laughs> of course, or, you know, on iTunes or whatever, where it was just like watch the whole thing being performed by those three people, and then you just see... <laughs> The just the stage and the whole thing just non you just see a whole big performance that'd be <laughs> hilarious. I would watch that. I would too. But it only works in the context of the larger thing, which isn't very good. So like, right? Yeah, it just needs to be better before it does that. But so this is an office story. It's and like Saw during an office gift exchange, I guess. Yes, exactly. I, and, yeah, the guy from John Dies at the End is in it, and he's like, oh, shit, the gift exchange. And, like, he pu- they take the time. To show him doing, trying to create a gift. And you think that's going to lead to something? It doesn't lead to shit. Like wrapping a stapler or something like that. You'll see it, like, one more time and briefly. Like, it's just like, why did we watch the whole month? This one was horrifically directed. Yeah. Whoever directed this. Well, they're not directed by different people. It's just this couple. That's oh, the it's the whole just, thing. Yeah. It's the same director for each the same thing. Same directors, yeah. That's crazy because they were wildly different. Uh-huh. And this one is directed so poorly, which is funny because it's the one that has the best like the most well-known actors in it. It has that guy from John Dies at the end, and it also has Jocelyn Donahue, the chick from How's the Devil? Yes. But it is terribly directed. The pacing is all wrong. When we get to the actual gift exchange portion, they, like, they'll take these long pauses in between action. And it's like, even in the trailer, because I remember specifically seeing the guy from John Dies at the End in the trailer, and it shows quite a bit from this scene. Uh Uh-huh. It makes it seem like things are going off, things are happening, the shot happens, then the person outside happens, then Uh the gas happens, you know? The trailer makes it look like boom, 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 all these things are happening and they have to deal with them rapid fire. No. Everything happens way too slowly for a very short vignette. Well, yeah, and I think because it's been compressed so short and yet still has terrible pacing... 
the emotion levels of all the characters are just all over the place. There's Manny, the angry dude, who gets, like, violently angry out of fucking nowhere. Like, I understand that they're in a tense situation. Okay, so what happens is Chase Williamson... Guy from John dies at the end. He opens up the first gift, which, I'm sorry, dude, if you forgot your gift, then just don't participate. Yeah. Come into the room, don't open. He's like, you know what, I'm sorry, I forgot. I'm not going to open one, but I would like to spend this with you. Oh, like, and let's not forget how blatantly obvious it is that there are tons more gifts than there are people. In order for this premise to work, there needs to be a lot more gifts than there are people. Which I noticed when they first yeah. walked in. I noticed and that immediately. And nobody needs to have the idea of, hey, how about we just tell each other who brought what gifts and which ones those are, and let's open those. Yes. Like, because everyone needs to open a gift. So anyway, Chase Williamson, he opens his gift, and he gets a gun blast to his head, and he dies. And everyone's like, holy shit, what the fuck is happening? And then they realize that the doors are closed, and somebody laughs over the intercom or whatever, you know, it's basically Saw, oh, you, would you like to play a game? Everyone open a gift. And then when they open the gifts, they're all, like, either dangerous to them or their weapons or something like that. Or something that will help them. <laughs> yes. I can't wait to watch you all die. <laughs> Who is this? Interrupt me again, Spencer, and I'll eat your fucking heart. <laughs> what is that? I'm filling the room with gas. <laughs> and if you don't listen, you're all gonna die. <laughs> I've added a few presents of my own. Take turns opening them. <laughs> Some could save you, but... <laughs> if you live, I'll let you go. And if you don't play, you die. <laughs> you have ten minutes. Before I kill you myself. If the premise is that everyone's required to open a gift... And we know that there are normal gifts in here that all these people brought. Why not just be like, here, somebody opened that one. I brought that. It's a stapler. You know what I mean? Like, it's, why not? Like, that never comes up. I guess because they just, they all know which ones that they brought, so they know not to use those ones. I mean, it's, I, I mean, I guess you don't really need them to have them talk about it, but it's, the pacing is just abysmal here. Like, the, it takes a long time even to get to the first one with the gunshot because, like, we have this scene where it's like we have to watch Jocelyn Donahue pick one. Oh, I'll pick this one because it looks like a bottle of wine. Oh, the joke is that it's balsamic vinegar. And, like, you're sitting I made there. it myself. Yeah. That was kind of funny. I don't know. I'm <laughs> sitting there and I'm just like, why am I watching this? Like, and I, I don't know. I didn't think it was funny. Like, there's a dude who has a crush on Jocelyn Donahue, the actress from The House of the Devil. And we find out because there's this random recording of her having sex with the dude from John Dies at the End, which I guess is supposed to upset the guy who and has a crush really on her. And he gets really upset and he just, like, loses his mind. But, like... 
turn it off. It's right. Like, really, dude? Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. That's what you're concerned with right now? And then he ends up deciding to kill himself because he's right. so embarrassed, I guess. And Manny gets super pissed because he assumes that he must be doing this because he has a crush on... Like, none of it makes any sense. No. Everyone is way hyper elevated in their emotions. Like, I understand you're in a life and death scenario, but they get mad about shit that has nothing to do with this life or death scenario. And it's... There's a gas outside, so they can't break the the windows. And there's this ridiculous thing where they find a video of like their one of the higher ups is saying that one of the dudes that's in there like is shit, and he's the one who who gets he, he mad needs to get fired. Yeah, and then so Manny gets really pissed at him. And I'm like, really? You're upset that they were gonna fire you right now? Really? Like it? Yeah, it's it's so stupid. Like guys. it's not it's not even played like it's a joke. Like I can understand if like your priorities are all out of whack, that could be funny. But it's not played like a joke. It's played dead serious. And then the guy is play. And then the guy who said that he should be fired is like, I've got a gun, and you know what? You should have been fired months ago. And he clicks and he, it, and he, and, he, and, he, and he tries to kill the guy. Yeah, like it's. I think they're going for like, oh, this scenario is bringing out all these like repressed feelings that they have about everyone in the office, but it's not played like clean well, enough. No. And then there's also like this whole gas thing going on, which also is ridiculous. Like, so they say, you know, what if it's a bomb? So you should open it up in the corner in case it's a bomb. And I'm like, uh, if it's a bomb, then you should probably, do doesn't matter where he opens yeah. it. But whatever. They do it in the corner, which just happens to be right under the vent, right? So he can pour gas through the vent. And I guess if you're there right when it happens, you'll die immediately. But if you're in the same room, just not in that tiny little space, yeah. you'll be just fine. What? Yeah, the ideas that they had are dumb. There's a funny little beat that they have here where one of the, like, some timid woman or whatever, all of a sudden we hear, like, Darth Vader respiratory sounds. And everyone looks and they see her and she's wearing a gas mask and she's like... I opened one of the presents or whatever, and this was in it. And then they all attack her to get the gas mask, because then that means that they can get out by smashing the door, killing everyone else. And so they're all fighting over it. And then, no, like, you act like we get to see the fight. We don't no, see we anything. Don't. The movie, the, the, the camera to the end. No, it, the camera pans over to the door again, and we see somebody else outside with the gas mask. It's like the janitor. It's the janitor. He's the one who. But there's no context for why the janitor would be upset at any of these people. Well, I mean, that doesn't take a lot. No, yeah, sure. They hate the people that they work for. Totally understandable. But we never see him. They never mention a janitor. There's never any mention of them treating anybody poorly. Like, at, like drop a little hint here or there. there. We get scenes of them in the office where they're talking to each other before the gift exchange. Like, we can't see anybody treat the janitor, like, poorly. Like... Toss, try to toss something in the in the trash can and it doesn't make it and then they're like oh sorry man can you pick that up and then he just glowers at them like not even that we got nothing then all of a sudden at the very end it's the it's the janitor is I, your mind blown no i think what they're trying to say is that the people you forget about are also really important. You think that that's what they're trying to say? Honestly, yeah. I then do. they should have shown him and shown them not even realizing he's there. They should have done that, but nothing. <laughs> There's no rhyme or reason to any of this I wrote down. None of the concepts make sense or hit as hard as the film seems to expect. And then it ends up being the chick that you don't like that won it. 
So the the chick who opens up the card that has the recording of her having uh, of the chick from House of the Devil having sex with the guy from John Dines at the end, she just lets it play. And the chick yeah. keeps saying, "Will you shut it? Will you close it? Uh-huh. Will you close it?" And yes, she says it like three times because again, the pacing in this movie is fucking awful. Uh-huh. And the girl just doesn't. Uh huh. No explanation. Does she like Chase Williamson? Nope. No indication of that. There's nothing. Like it's not even like this doesn't have to be a whole movie. I understand this is just a short segment, but like there's so many things they could have done within the same time constraints that they already had that they just refused to do or didn't even occur to them. Yeah, because you know we didn't need him making a gift that didn't go anywhere. Like I, nobody opens that gift. Yeah, I was positive that was gonna be like uh, they are they're able to escape if they do that or something. Or 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 as simple as somebody opens it and in the middle of all this life or death scenario they go really (laughs) right you know like nothing nothing and then also manny just happened to get the gift that was specifically about him yeah i said i wrote that down too specifically it was very stupid so So anyway she's the one who gets out and then that's like the end of it right like she just gets out and story over with and she drops her gas mask and walks away as if nothing happened that was the stockings were hung yes not the worst one. It's not. There's one that's even worse, which is funny because the one that's even worse has way better direction. Yeah. The direction is in the other one. You know what's not in the other one? Acting. <laughs> Let's talk about... Oh, well, in between the two, Uh huh. I didn't write down what they did for this one. No. I wrote ridiculously done on stage, but I didn't write what they did. Yeah, I don't remember what it was. But so they cut to I them. think somebody was sitting down and they had like blood coming out, like fake blood. And then somebody was lying on the floor. Yeah, whatever. It doesn't matter. We cut to the couple or the people that are on the blind date or whatever it is. Uh-huh. And they're talking shit on it. And they're making it, the, the movie is making you know, the audience, everybody can hear them. Uh-huh. The lady on the stage gives them a look like, I can't believe you'd make fun of it. And I'm like, who would do that? Yeah, uh-huh. Who would speak so loudly that everyone in the theater could hear them also, talking shit? yeah, are we supposed to like these people? Yeah. Are we supposed to dislike them? I don't know. Like, we don't dislike them enough to be, like, excited about bad things happening to them, and we don't like them enough to be worried about bad things happening to them. Right. They are nothing characters. They are nothing characters. The only thing that makes me worried about them is the creepy dude staring at the chick, which I know I should be glad. It means nothing and it goes nowhere. (laughs) Right. I should be glad that it doesn't go to where I thought it was going to go. Uh-huh. But then when it does come to its end, I'm like, that's not worse, but like almost like. So the old man is apparently, we'll find out, he's apparently like omniscious. He knows exactly what's going on and exactly what's going to happen. And he thinks it's hilarious, but there's no explanation for who he is, why he's that way. He doesn't interact with them in any other way than to just look at her like He has no impact on the story whatsoever. He's just supposed to be creepy. But it's lame creepiness. Yeah. So Dash Away All. Dash Away All is also very not good. So it's about a It's okay. It's okay. But it's not well thought out. It's not well thought out. There is 
like by the end you're just like I have more questions yeah than I have like I'm glad that I saw that right like I'm I'm walking away with like a whole long list of questions and not the sort of questions where it's like me. that that intrigue you yeah it's like well no this doesn't make sense because then what about this so anyway it's this man he's getting all this stuff it's like Christmas it's Eve Christmas Eve he he waited to the last second. Yeah. And and his 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 family's coming over and his wife is at home having to deal with that and he's like I'll come as ho- I'll come home as soon as I can and then he he puts everything in his car and I noticed I was like oh you dipshit you didn't even close the door all the way he gets in his driver's seat he notices the door ajar signed thing he gets out he closes the door and then he realizes he locked himself out of the car his keys and his phone are both in the car and he's like well son of a bitch and there's nothing he can do. And this is when you become aware that the writer of this film has never worked a retail job because. He goes right back to the store and is like, hey, I need to use your phone. I need to use your phone. And the place is already completely closed up. All the lights are off and no one's there. There is. In the two minutes it took this yes. to happen. In the two minutes that he walked out to his car. Now, they did show us when he was walking out to his car that there was no one there, which I'm sorry. Have you Ever, have you ever worked retail? Have you ever worked retail near the holidays? Yeah. Have you ever been shopping near the holidays? Like, it's just an absurd premise. Right. It. If you've never worked retail, guess what? You don't go home when the, clo- when the store closes. No, absolutely not. You're there for another half hour at least. At, at least. At least. Especially at a giant department store. Uh-huh. Especially around the holidays. Yeah. I don't care that it's Christmas Eve. If they were open that late, those workers are still there. Yeah. Anyway, so, he gets locked out of his car. There's no one there. The only person in the in the lot is a van. Now, what we're going to find out, I'm just going to tell you guys. Yeah. We find out that they are... Tethers. Tethered to a demon. And the only people who can be tethered to the demon are people who are born on December 25th. Which, if you know anything about religion, you know Jesus' birth is not actually on December 25th. They just co-opted this winter solstice ceremony. Like, it's... If you are legitimately (laughs) religious and actually know about, like, anyway. (laughs) Anyway. The only people who can be tethered to this demon who can quote-unquote control it, which, again, do not get me started on this just does not make sense. So they are tethered to this demon. The only people who can be are the people who are born on December 25th. And Because he's like the Antichrist or something like that. Only one who shares the day of their birth with the unconquered son can tether this evil. It means you were born on Christmas, Eric. Just like me. Just like Sasha. We're the only ones that can bear the mark, and we're the only ones that can keep this evil at bay. You can't leave within a certain amount of feet from him. And if you do, he will kill you and, and all your, your family. family. Which doesn't make sense because we will see him kill someone in this thing, and then he doesn't bother to kill anybody after that. Uh-huh. Maybe he does it through pieces of his spirit that go and kill. Yeah, nope, Maybe don't even he can it. be in more than one places at once. I don't fucking know. 
But so, yeah, if he kills you, then he's going to kill your whole family. And then he's going to pick more people off. He needs to be tethered to someone. But the only way to be tethered to it is to be tricked into being tethered to no, it. No, I mean, you don't, the, the trick isn't, the trick is how you get people to get tethered. It's not part of the ceremony. So, yeah, okay, so they they offer him their phone. There's these two young women in this van. They offer him their phone. He calls home and he calls his wife and he's like, yeah, I locked myself out of my car. Can you call the tow company or whatever so they can get me out? I also want to point out, everybody, they gave him the phone before they knew he was born on December 25th. So out of the kindness of their hearts, they were willing to help a stranded dude. I mean, you, yeah, you could think that maybe they knew about his birthday and that they're following him. But when they find out his birthday is December 25th, they're like, <gasps> yes. oh, my God. Also, do you know why they found out that his birthday is on December 25th? Because he said this is some birthday, huh? Or whatever. No. When he called roadside assistance to verify who he was. Uh-huh, he gave his birthday. His birthday. And then they look at each other. First of all, if you're just calling plain old road assistance, they don't need to verify who the fuck you are. If you're calling a company such as like, you know, AAA, I have never had to give them my birthday. I well, give you're them very my upset about this. <laughs> I give them my customer number. Uh-huh. Yeah. He didn't lock his wallet in the car. Oh my god. Like I'm just like I but it's I, fine because he also does say, oh, hell of a birthday, huh? Right. No, I get that. But that's after they find out that that's his birthday. I know. Like, it's just like, it is so, like, they don't know how to make premises. So he sees something moving in the van and he's like, what's that? What's in your van? And he like throws open the door and he searches through it. And it's like, dude, that's somebody else's van. Even if you thought something was in there, what are you doing? Well, because they tried to get him to get in. Yeah. Remember, they uh-huh. tried to get him to get in. Yeah, you can in. stay warm inside our van. So, yeah. and then when he starts to become comfortable around them, uh-huh. he starts to get closer to the van, and that's when he sees the creepy-ass hand. I understand. Uh-huh. I would be like, who the fuck is in your van that you'd, you wanted me to get in there with? Yeah, then walk away. Agreed. Like, but, but well, he kind of tries to. It's in this moment that they cut his hand. Yeah, so they cut his hand. The one chick is chanting something under her breath, and then the other one cuts his hand, and then, like, they rub their blood together, and then the chick that was chanting says the same thing, or does the same thing with the blood, and then the first chick who cut him is like, oh, we did it, we're free, we're free, and then she runs, and then the chick who was chanting is like, no, you didn't finish the whole thing that you need to do, the whole ceremony thing, stop, and then she crosses this threshold, and then what happens, like, her her neck is slit or something? No, it comes out after her, and she's like, I'll go back, please, I'm sorry, oh, yeah, I'll go it comes back, up behind and then he kills her. The one who does finish the chanting feels, like, a little guilty, right? So she's like, Dude, all you gotta do is find somebody who's born on December 25th. It only took us three years. Right. No, I get that. Yeah. My point is, I'm gonna give you all this explanation as to how to get out of it, but I'm not gonna tell you what the chant is or what you have to fucking do. Right. She doesn't give him any instructions except for you gotta find somebody born on December 25th. And if I were that dude, I'd be like, excuse me. 
Did you not just do some sort of chant? Should I know about right. this chant? Also, what are the conditions of this? Do I, Am I stuck in the van or is the van yours? And now you are giving me the van. Right. Do I walk around with this guy? Should I keep him on a leash? Am I allowed to see my family? Or does no, no, she says you can't see, see your family. It's better that you not see your family. You don't want this thing around your family. But I wrote down, how is he supposed to find a new tether without knowing the ceremony shit that you did? And how did there ever get to be two tethers at the same time yes. in the first place? Yes. If when you tether somebody else, you're free, how is there ever two tethers? I don't know. I, I could go on and on about this thing. That's why I hate it so much. It's just like, I could, it, it's not poorly done. The no. acting is fine. It's suitably creepy for it most of it. It is suitably creepy. Uh, it's The acting is fine. It's the, the bereft direction, of humor, though. There's no humor in this one. No, yeah, there's no humor in this. The direction is fine. The acting is fine. Everything is fine about this, except for the story. The is concept just, is, yeah. What? Mm-hmm. No thought. They put no thought right. or effort and, into this. And, okay, I understand that when we're talking about these tiny little segments, they're just supposed to be, you know, like short stories like, ooh, isn't that creepy? And then you don't think about it that much. And yes, that's fine. It doesn't need to hold up as if it were like a two and a half hour movie. But there is like a minimum standard for what needs to prevent me from going. That doesn't make any sense. And now I'm kind of like mad. Yes. (laughs) I was so mad by the end of it because I was like, oh, this one isn't bad. It's not well. No, I mean, yeah, it's not it wasn't amazing, bad. But then, as bad. it wraps up, they just speed through the end, and then it's okay. Now I have way more questions that make me think that your premise is stupid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When we come back to the theater again, I didn't write anything down. For this, this is when one. I wrote down. I kind of love when they come back to the actors and we get a little peek at what they must have been doing on stage. But I didn't. I didn't. I write didn't down. write down what they were doing. <laughs> Also, I did write down that, okay, the guy is still staring at her. Now he's in the theater, sitting there very close and staring at them. Yeah. But then I also wrote down, and I, and this is when I was like, are they in on it together? Because the dude that she's with is having, like, stomach issues. Yeah, you can hear his stomach. And, you know, when you're on a date or you're with somebody you like, that's, like, the worst thing ever. It's probably part of the reason why your stomach is growling and stuff like that. You're you're nervous. And and then you know that they can hear it. And it's like, oh, God, this fucking sucks. But So I didn't know if it was being done for comedic effect at this point. Right. And I'm like, or, oh, God, does he have to shit? Is he, that the joke? Exact. That's exactly what I thought it was going to be. I thought he was going to get up and have to, like, go to the bathroom for an extended period of time. And the creepy dude was going to come in on her. Oh, and we get close to that. But that's not what happened. But not yet. Not yet. First. But that's what I thought this was leading to. And I was like, no movie. Yeah. No movie. It does hint at that. And you're like, oh, God. Yeah. But that is not at all what was going on. First, though, we get all through the house, which is a sort of half-assed Christmas carol where a dude hates Christmas and he's mean to his neighbor who likes Christmas. And then bad things happen. Oh, the acting in this. Oh, the acting. Some of it is funny. The funny bad acting, like, okay, at one point, Chet, who's this main character guy, he and his neighbor get into a fight uh, because the neighbor thinks he stole his his Santa figurine. And they're fighting over this Santa, and Chet falls and hits his head. And the neighbor says, 
I can't remember how he pronounces it because it's been a couple days since we watched it. But he's like, oh, shit. Yeah. Or oh, something shit. like that. <laughs> and that was like perfect. Yes, that was very funny. <laughs> oh, shit. I've always imagined that. Like, you know, you're having an argument with somebody. Uh, and then something bad happens. And you're just like, you did not oh, intend. oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> you just run out the fucking door. Very, very realistic. So, okay. So, at one point before this, he opens his door and there's a wreath on his door and he yells at his neighbor for putting a wreath on his door. And there's a little letter that says, oh, you'll be visited by three spirits. The three spirits are completely indistinct. They're not past, present, and future at all. They're just these weird smoky ghosts that somebody, you know, figured out how to do that effect in After Effects. Yes. And so they thought it looked really cool, and now it's in a fucking movie. Yes. And they're just, like, these black smoke people. And then they just, like, make him see shit, and then he freaks out. And then when his neighbor comes over, he's like, oh, I really do love Christmas for no reason. None of the stuff he sees is about how he should appreciate Christmas or anything like that. Well, kind of. I mean, all of them, all the things that have been happening have been because he's mean to his neighbor. And then they also have been using clips from their own version of Christmas Carol. So it's all been themed that way. Yeah, he has his. Oh, yeah, right. He has the girl that he's seeing whose parents are over and he talks to them. <sighs> and she invites him over for dinner. And like halfway through this vignette, I was just like, you had an invitation to leave and go somewhere else. Right. You're freaking out. Why don't you go to that other place? Right. But so anyway, he gets in this fight with his neighbor. He hits his head and then he's dead. But then he wakes up and he realized none of this has happened yet. And so when his neighbor comes over, he's like, oh, thank you. I love Christmas. I love Christmas. And then he he runs out and his neighbor's like, is that my wreath? <laughs> Which is kind of funny. And then as he leaves, he's like, I fucking hate Christmas. Which doesn't make sense with the rest of the se- of the vignette. Because he acts like, like, I understand that like, oh, he's doing it for his kid who loves Christmas. I get that. And he doesn't really love Christmas. But there are ways to show that throughout this man's performance that they don't give him anything to work with. I'd also like to point out that one of the worst parts of this vignette he is forced to, and it is kind of, it's the past the present and the future. He sees himself killing himself. He also sees his past self as a child being tormented by his grandma and his parents yelling at him to sing, sing, sing Christmas carols. Oh, God, I completely forgot about that. I wrote down. You're right, okay. I wrote down, this is not being done for comedic effect, which is weird because a lot of this vignette is comedic. Uh Uh-huh. But this part is the most laughable part. And it's not. Because it's so bad. Because they did this in Bill and Ted. And in Bill and Ted, it was funny. With his grandma trying to get a kiss from him as a a Uh kid. It was, it it felt like they stole it straight out of Bill and Ted's Bogus Adventure. Which, what the fuck are you doing? Bogus Journey. Whatever. It's so terrible. But yeah, so there he does see himself as a child. That's that's the past. Okay. Which again, you're right. You're is right. Super super bad. And then he also sees himself killing himself. Which who cares about that? There's also a scene where he's doing coke for no good reason. Yeah. And it turns into tinsel. Yeah. 
kind of made and then me it's laugh not but then like it's not second. there yeah but then it's not there when he turns on the lights but when he turns off the lights the ghosts are there ooh, ooh. so anyway that's all through the house it's just but a half-assed christmas carol my favorite part is that when they first started the vignette they they had really harsh red and green lights. Every time he opens the door, he's like, fuck! Like, because the lights are really bright, right? And they're uh-huh. shining at him. And they are. They're a garish green and then a garish red. And it felt like anyone who was looking at a real house with lights, it wouldn't look like that. But when they transition... Into the on-stage oh, yes. version, there's the it's one person, one giant yeah. red light, one uh-huh. giant green yep. light, and, and that they're I, just like shining on the person, and he's 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 laughing on the floor as if he's in snow, and I was like, <laughs> one was moment, that was one great. moment of brilliance where uh-huh. you took the awkward harsh red and green and you uh-huh. made it make sense with the on-stage. I was like. More of this, More please. More of that. More of this, please. Yes, that was good. I loved that you brought my confusion into the real world and made it made sense. Like, uh-huh. I was like, where is this genius for the rest of the mm-hmm. movie? And then the director comes back out again. The whole silent thing walks slowly to the easel, takes off the next card, and it just says intermission. Like, you're expecting it to be the next vignette, and it's not. So... It's intermission. He's got to get up and go to the bathroom. Okay, so the question is, does he have to go to the bathroom or doesn't he? Because No, he... because as soon as he goes in there, he gets on the phone. Exactly. So she is now in the lobby, and she's got to deal with this strange old man, who is the only other person in the lobby, by the way. So that was the first time that my thoughts shifted about the phone calls. Uh-huh. When he says, I'm sorry, I have to go to the bathroom, and then immediately gets on the phone, I was like, oh, he's cheating on his wife. I get it Uh now. Nope. Nope. So the phone calls, (laughs) you'll hear him talk about, I wrote, a guy calls someone on the phone in the bathroom. Who? It's never said. It's never even implied. He keeps telling this person that he can't do it, but he also tells this person that I'm with someone. Yes. So like, which is it? Does the person on the other end of the phone know he's with someone and wants him to do something? Or does the person on the other end of the phone have no idea what he's doing right now? Which is it? Yeah. And so it's it's frustrating, but he does eventually come out and then they go back inside. Also, apparently this theater, which is tiny and they clearly uh-huh. have no money because of their black box. Oh, yeah. Shit. They give out water for free. They give free <laughs> water and popcorn? Uh-huh. <laughs> She just walks out there and she's like, can I get a water? And there's, again, the joke with the bitches that work there. The twins. And you're just like, what is this? And they're trying so hard anywhere. to be like, they're both really, really angry all the time. Don't talk to anybody. Uh, people, these twins, that one's out there standing at this table that has the water and popcorn. And she says, can I get a water? And she just looks at her. And then looks at looks to the side, and then the twin comes in, and this is when it's revealed that they're twins. And yeah, you're like, oh, there earlier, are two of them. Because earlier the joke was that how did she get from selling the tickets to to tearing the tickets? Yeah. yeah. So, but uh, so oh, now we realize that they're twins, and then this twin just grabs a water at the table and then hands it to her, and it's like, okay, I get this is your reveal, but you you couldn't contextualize it in a way that makes any sense whatsoever. Like, why not just have that first twin go, 
like point to the water and let her take it? Or is it really asking that much to just hand somebody a water? Isn't it a bigger deal to ask somebody else to come and do it? Like, and why would they have this agreement that one gives out the water and one doesn't? And the one that gives out the water is in the back room. And the one that doesn't is at the table with the water. Like none of it fucking makes any sense. Yeah. It's like they, they, they knew they wanted a specific moment where it's revealed that they are twins and there's really two of them. And they didn't care how they accomplished that. Anyway. Now, here's the thing, guys. Again, they have been laughing at this show the entire time. They've been making fun of it this entire time. Uh-huh. Why would they continue to watch the show? Yeah. Well, when they go back in, they talk about how many people left. And then they're like, can, can we leave too? And then it starts and they're like, oh, shit. Well, it's already started. Now we can't leave. Okay. So, first of all, I want to make it clear. Only the girl wants to leave. Yes. At that point. Which, again, when you know what happens at the end, okay, I get it. Kind of. Yeah. But why did it take her going back inside and seeing that other people had left? They were hating the show the entire time. Why not leave during intermission? Only if it's okay because other people left? Well, that's the thing. You would think if they're in the lobby, they would have seen other people leave. Exactly. But other than when they're in the audience, you never see those other people. Right. They're never in the lobby. We never see them leave. We never see them show up. They're just in there. They go to the lobby. Uh, our, our main characters and this old man go to the lobby for intermission. And when they come back, people are just gone. Yeah. Like, anyway, our next story is arose such a clatter and it's a reindeer gets hit by a dude on a snowy street and then Rudolph gets his revenge by stabbing him with his antlers. No, Blitzen is the one that's killed. Rudolph is the one that goes after him. That's what the red light's about. It's his nose. And that's it. That's it. So this one is filmed a lot like Evil Dead. Yeah, where like the camera is the perspective and it's like... This is the only one that I was saying, like at least they were trying something with the direction. No, this one was the most like... This was a nothing segment and... I, the I, acting is even worse yeah. than in the last one. He hits the deer and he's like, oh, no. Like, what? <laughs> he's like, oh, Jesus. I hit the deer. I'm like, oh, my God. And then he You're goes, worse than my 12-year-olds. He goes home. He's followed by this camera that has this red glow about it. And there's this chick that he, like, he is He goes with. home. Yeah. And then there's this woman he's with. There's and antlers like, on his wall. ha, ha. Welcome home. I didn't think you'd be coming home yet. Oh, yeah. And she's like wearing so, lingerie. The acting is so wooden. He's like, a photographer. I'm like, you're, you've got five minutes on screen. Make your five minutes count. He's a photographer. The reason he hits the reindeer in the first place is because he's looking at these photographs that he took and like, you know, coming in his pants over them of this, of these like boudoir photos. And then... When he gets home, it's I think it's the same it's woman. The same lady. But she's also in lingerie still, and she's like, oh, yeah, so obviously they're going to have a fling. And then he, like, goes upstairs for some reason, and then he gets impaled by Rudolph, and then she looks for him, and does she get killed too? Yeah. And then then that's the end of it. But again, we cut back. Love yes. this scene on stage. And the actors on stage, are have they have this, like, fake, fake reindeer head, head, and they're like... Uh, 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 and like, like stabbing blood, the like person fake, and like, big blood. Yeah. Like scarves are coming out. Oh my God. It's, it's really great. Good. It's great. But that's a rose, such a clatter. Then we get in a twinkling. Now there's only three people left. So there were four. Uh-huh. Now it's down to three. Including the people that told them to shush. Yes. That one person that told them to shush is gone in the next moment. Mm-hmm. 
So anyway, in a twinkling, another segment that doesn't make a lot of the best internal one. consistency. This is sense. the best one of the bunch. It is in in its in that it's inventive. It's it's a little creative. It's it's colorful. It also has black and white. Yeah, it tried some stuff. It, yeah. It attempted to, I mean, like, the other ones, some of them attempted to be funny, funny, but this one attempted to be, like, weird funny and, like, like you said, creative, and I appreciated that. We have this one guy, he's he's the main character of this story, and he's at home alone on Christmas Eve, and... His best friend, Gabby, can't stand that he doesn't celebrate. This is Constance Wu, who we mentioned before. And so she brings over a couple of their friends and is like, we're forcing you to celebrate. And he's like, that was a bad idea. You shouldn't have done that. And she's like, whatever. And they're hanging out. And she's like, I got to go have a cigarette. And so she goes outside to have a cigarette. And when she comes back in. Well, he tries to tell her. He runs out there and he's like, "Oh yeah, uh-huh. all of this started ten years ago. I need to tell you." The and then story. they get interrupted. Yeah, and I think she's hey, dinner's like, ready five minutes after we got here. <laughs> and when she comes inside, it's black and white. Yeah, which well, is fun. No, but that's a good point you make. He tries to have a serious conversation with her. Then they get interrupted by saying dinner's ready all of a sudden. I don't think that they do get interrupted. I think she says this can wait. No, that she doesn't restart the conversation because. She's, I'm going to have a cigarette. And she just leaves. And it's like, dude, he was trying to have a conversation with you. But she just leaves. It's not even like, come outside with me and we'll continue this conversation out there. Whatever. But yes, she comes back inside and everything's black and white. And she's like, what the fuck's going on? Their three friends are acting all weird. Now, this was my biggest problem with it. Uh Uh-huh. We're going to find out that aliens invade his home every year on Christmas. Okay? It's a fun little idea. And he and the aliens make him go through stupid Christmas things. Okay? Yeah, what they think Americans do during Christmas, Earthling Americans do, and so they're like, "Oh, let's understand this more. We're gonna we're gonna force you to interact with us. We're gonna force you to be happy because Christmas is about happiness." And all of that is fine, except that this has always happened to just him Uh now his friends are here and for some reason they only want to do it to him and constance Wu, and they're going to take over the bodies of the other three this doesn't make any sense my question is are his real friends dead yeah are the aliens always impersonating someone? That, or yeah, if there's no one the there, problem. which is which is what he does, he likes to spend Christmas alone. That's why Constance Wu is upset and finally decides to do something and force him to celebrate with people. So in every other Christmas when he's by himself, how do the aliens present themselves? Because yeah. they make it seem like this is old hat to him. Yeah. And this is always what happens. So like, how does this play out when his friends aren't there? Yeah. Anyways, she tries to leave. When she opens the door, it's Santa Claus Conquers the Martians for some reason outside. Like, yes. literally the movie Santa Claus Conquers the Martians. Yes. Somebody likes Mystery Science Theater, and so they put a clip from Santa Claus Conquers the Martians, I guess. Or she'll open the door, and then she'll come right through on the other side. Oh, yeah, out of a cabinet that's in the house. Or yes. Whatever. Yeah. Let's not gloss over the good things here. I really want to give credit where credit is due. Uh-huh. I love Constance Wu's response when she first walks in. She sits down, and at first she's trying to, like, get along with them. Mm-hmm. 
And she very quickly notices, okay, and she goes, okay, guys, are you fucking with me right now? Uh, And then she goes, oh, I get it. You all got high without me. And before she can finish the line, the dude comes in uh and he shoots all three of them in the head. She's like, oh, my God. And her performance here is pretty good. Like, I'm already laughing at her line about, oh, you got high Uh without me. And And then he just shoots them before the ending of the line. And that. Is comedic pacing. Uh huh. Keep very the good. laughter going. Uh-huh. Don't give me just Surprise. a second laugh of that one joke of them being high. Uh-huh. No, capitalize on it and bring them to their deaths in that moment. Uh-huh. Like it was, it was a wonderful comedic moment. Where was that pacing in the first one? Uh huh. So anyway, he reveals that oh no, they're just fine. Trust me, and they come right back up, even though they still have like bullet holes in them. Um, And he's like, see, this is how I needed to prove to you. They're just fucking aliens that make me go through this every single year. But I did immediately write right after that. Hey, wait a minute. Why was he allowed to leave and get a gun? But whenever she opens a door, she goes right back. Because she tries to leave the house. Right. He goes to his bedroom. I know, but at one point, I'm pretty sure she goes into another room and that takes her right back Uh into the living room. And I was like, God damn it. <laughs> so anyway, they make it through this Christmas where the, you know, the the fun aliens are like, they got these big smiles and like, celebrate Christmas with us yes. or whatever. Would you like to say a blessing? Uh-huh. Would you like to say, I love that they just keep repeating themselves uh-huh. until they respond. That, this was uh-huh. funny. These the, were the good ideas. The fun little glitches in their like, like, like glitches that they have are really, really simple and easy to pull off, but they're effective. Would you like to join us for dinner, Gabby? Yeah, Gabby, join us for dinner. Tried to warn you. Would you like to sit here in the only empty chair? (sighs) Would you like to say a blessing? So what's going on here, Steve? Is this like group hypnosis? Did you get a book on how to hypnotize your friends at dinner? Would you like to say a blessing? They're not our friends. They just took on their forms. What do you mean they? Would you like to say a blessing? You know what? You Would, you like to say a blessing? You Would you like to say a Jesus blessing? Would you like to say a blessing? Jesus Christ, Mary. Amen. And then they end up making it through the night. And it, but then at the end, when they made it through the night, it is just this guy and Constance Wu. Where the fuck did the friends go? True. And the way that they make them end it is they force her to talk about her worst, like, Christmas memory. But then that leads to her why she loves Christmas yeah. so much as an adult. She just needs to prove that she loves Christmas and why she loves Christmas. That's how they get through it. And I thought that was cute. Uh-huh. I, I, this one, especially when you compare it to all the others, it's like, this was... Not bad. This mm-hmm. this had potential. This had ideas. This was cute. This was sweet. This was sad. This was funny. And it's how you know that we're not just hating on the rest of this movie because it's like, you know, it has a low budget and it's independent or whatever because this segment is all of those same things. If all the others were this quality, I would have thought this movie was perfectly fine. I yeah, would say exactly. watch it. Uh-huh. But they are not at this quality in any of the other mm-hmm. vignettes. Like I said, the vignette that has the best acting and direction aside from this one is the one where he gets tethered. But that one is just filled with just nonsensical story. Uh Beats. Beats. Yeah, I don't know. It feels like... It feels like all of these 
were like low budget YouTube short films that they put all together because they're all Christmas themed. And it's like, it didn't need to be a movie, man. Didn't need to be a movie. I also really like when they they give her a present and it's a holiday sweater, right? And they're like, do you like it? And she says, yeah, I guess. And in the next moment, when we cut to them... They're all wearing the sweater? Yes! Yes, uh (laughs) uh-huh. That was good! And then at the end, when they're on stage, oh, it shows the two friends that are happy and, you know, hugging or whatever. Uh And this other guy is holding this stick, and at the top of the stick are three alien heads that Uh are, like, watching them. And it's all, like, happy. It was really funny. Uh So then our main character gets a phone call or I mean, I guess our main male character gets a phone call and he's like, I got to take this just like he did at the very beginning. And you're like, Oh man, what are these calls about? And his stomach thing is getting Uh worse. And so he leaves the theater just in time for the last segment, which is called and to all a good night. We see a man and a woman on stage and then they're having the same exact conversation that our two main characters had when they first met at the beginning of the movie, like word for word. And then when they're sitting down and watching the play, they clap. They do the clap thing, <laughs> which is funny. It's a funny little callback to that moment. And then we see him. Oh, I'm sorry. I got to get this. And then we see the conversation that he's having. Are you there? I'm sorry. I can't do it. I tried. I thought I, thought I could beat it. It's too close now. It's too late. I'm sorry. I... I have to feed. He comes back in, not not our main character, but on the the stage. And this whole time, the dude is ominously staring at her again. Oh, the old man. Yeah, Mm -hmm. uh uh-huh. And then on stage, the male character sits down and is like... Well, I'm hungry. How about you? Or whatever it is that the line is. Is it over? I'm starving. How about you? End of movie. It goes black. Our actual guy character comes in, sits down. He's like, oh, did I miss it? Well, I'm hungry. How about you? And then we see the face of the old man in front of them, a couple, like two rows in front and off to the side. And he just like laughs. He's like smiling. But then he, he bursts out laughing, like, in this weird sort of, like... After we see what happens to the the other guy, the main guy. What happens? His face changes, right? Oh, yeah, there's this weird moment where his face changes. Again, a bad After Effects uh, effect. Which they also did in the Aliens one. At one point, Constance yeah. Wu asks, what do you want from us? What is this all about? And they change their faces. Mm-hmm. And it's a bad effect. It's it's like it's really bad. It's like those um those Halloween things that people put on their like their filters on their Instagram or whatever. No, no, the things that they put like up on their wall, like you know, you know how Chris used to do it at Chris and Jesse's Halloween parties. The ghost comes up and then oh, they have yeah. a scary uh-huh. face. Like yeah. that's exactly what it felt like. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Really kind of cheap and low rent. Uh, but I like the idea of this. I like the idea of the rapper being incorporated into the story for whatever reason. It's kind of spooky and weird. I thought it was effective for the most part. But then it's like, what is this thing? Is he going to eat her? Is that what this is? Is this mm-hmm. all about him going to eat her? Like, 
He's like a demon that just I guess eat people. But he's trying not to, and like we don't see it. This is where the movie ends. Yes, none none of it is explained. And then they end the, the movie with Santa teach me to dance, which I think is how you that should was end. that was fun. I think yeah. you should end the show with that. Song. That will be. Mm-hmm. It was fun though, uh, but there's just these moments of shining, glimmering hope, things that they do really, really well, and a whole lot that they do really poorly. Yeah. So what do you think the movie has on Rotten Tomatoes, Kelsey? 11 reviews, no consensus. Maybe 33? 73%. Wow. No Metacritic, no cinema score. Wow. Overrated or underrated? Overrated. What would you give it? I'll give it a 40. That's more generous than I was going to be. I'm giving it a 40 because... There are moments that I really did like and I really did appreciate. And Uh it is sad how much of it is just garbage. And there's a lot of credit you want to give this movie for being like just, you know, it's it's very low budget. You recognize that it's just people making a horror movie. They're having fun. I get it. But it's not a free pass to make a bad movie. Like the only one that had nothing. No, I think every single one of them had something. Yeah. But. It wasn't enough to give me to make me like I'd it. I'd say my my least favorite is I think your the one that you said worked for you, the Rudolph's Revenge one. I thought the direction. I thought oh. it was because it, it was felt fun. very Evil Dead. Yeah, it felt mm-hmm. Evil Dead. It felt like they were trying out, but then again, when you think about it, that it's Evil Dead, they're not really trying anything right. out. So no, that was the least. That one had the least impact on me. It's I'm like, terrible. Oh, I get it. It's Rudolph, and he's killing because, like, it's very simple. Dude hits reindeer with car. Rudolph kills him. Like, that's the story. That's all there is to it. And we had to sit through like ten minutes of stuff. Like, come yeah. on, come on. <laughs> I was gonna give it a thirty-five. Okay. Just not worth it for all the good stuff. But there is good stuff there. Only kind of frustrates you more. Yeah. Anyway, that is 2018's All the Creatures Were Stirring. What are we watching next week, Kelsey? Next week is another Christmas week. Yay, yay. We are going to move into sequel territory Christmas time. All right. We're going to watch Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 2. Is this the Garbage Day one? I think that's Part 3, but I'm not sure. Okay. Well, I've never seen any of them, so I have no idea, but I think it's part three. But maybe it's part two. I'm excited. That and? The latest remake of Black Christmas. Yep. We still haven't seen it. We have not. We love the original, obviously, and we absolutely detested the first remake, so. It was a bad remake. It's really bad. Like, they made everything worse, if I remember correctly. So much worse. Yeah. So, we'll have to see what they do with this new one. Hopefully they make it better. It didn't do that well. It kind of came out with a, like a... Yeah. You know what I mean? It came out and nobody was talking about it. Nobody even recognized it. And then all of a sudden it was out of theaters. And you see it advertised on, you know, like, if you have an Apple TV like we do, you'll see, you know, when it came out on streaming, you'll see it advertised there. And it's like... But nobody's talking about it. So I can't imagine it's any good. I hope it's better than the last remake. So we'll see. This will be our third time watching A Black Christmas. Yes. 
So I'm excited for it. Okay. <laughs> that is next week. Until then, you can always find us on our website, podcemetery.com, and on Twitter, at podcemetery. Don't forget to subscribe in your podcatcher of choice, rate and review. Five-star written review is the biggest help you can give to us there. Sharing us with your friends is even better than that. And even better than that is listening in the GD first place. Thank you all very, very much. We love each and every one of you. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. But before we go, Kelsey, any last words? You were cruel and mean right from the start. Now you can truly say you have no heart. And then no and then the crypt creep crypt keeper anonymously that's what i hate about these big casts is like the big people that you would expect to be high on the list aren't because they're come later in the movie but that one is just filled with just nonsensical story uh-huh. items items story moments Be- beats beats <laughs>